welcome one and all to Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Star Trek universe. My name is Matt, and joining me as always is Pete. Bonjour, Pete. Look at you, Dixon Hill. Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 204, Watcher, comes to you now via milk, chocolate, hot. Pete, welcome back from your time travel adventures. Uh, we, of course, had had Pete from 1999 these past three weeks. Uh, Pete, where had you gone in the timeline? I went to a place where I had to wear a mask during a spike in COVID numbers. Oh, the past? Let's talk about Star Trek. Uh, indeed. Pete, we had our Discovery Season 4 wrap yesterday. A great look back at all the adventures of the DMA, the 10C, the friends we made along the way, and the friends that we really didn't lose along the way because uh, the success rate uh, was quite high. So with that, Pete, uh, Disco Season 4 in the books. So make sure you get over to the Discovery Star Trek podcast feed by Fantastic Geek on Apple Podcasts for that. This week, we also dropped our Strange New Worlds uh, podcast about the teaser trailer and the James Kirk casting announcement over there on Apple Podcasts has its own feed. Now, give that a like. Indeed, Pete, as as one Star Trek season ends, uh, another season, indeed, another show begins. Really looking forward to uh, to discussing Strange New Worlds proper when we get to that first Thursday in May. Uh, and in the interim, that feed up there on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Pete, also, because the universe is a, is a kind place, uh, we will start talking Moon Knight uh, podcast episodes next weekend with the show dropping its first episode this upcoming Wednesday. And uh, the likes always appreciated on that podcast feed as well. Absolutely. We will drop our first podcast episode on Saturday, April 2nd. Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. Give that a rating in seconds or a review in a little while longer. Can't tell you how much that interaction means to us, helps other people find us. For now, let's head to this week's mission briefing. At an abandoned Chateau Picard in La Serena, Picard and Dr. Gerardi attempt to contact Rios or Rafi to no avail. At the closed Las Mariposas Clinica, Rafi and Seven have tracked a combat signal to find the remnants of Rios and Teresa's arrest. A nurse explains that Rios was patched up before ICE officers raided the clinic, taking them into custody. Teresa is a citizen and should be released, but Rios, not so much. We go back to Picard, who is still uh, conveniently unable to make contact. Uh, Drod explains it with a long shot. You know, there are no relays, uh, which of course had me saying, but the last episode ended with, Rios, are you there? Kind of, you know, fading to black with the echo and so forth. Pete, it's the first example of a number of times in this episode where things will work when they need to and not work when it's not convenient for the story. Not exactly a slam, just a statement of fact. Uh, they decide to get a fire going, but first they're going to cloak the ship. 
uh, turns out that the uh, warmer place where the fire will be lit is indeed the abandoned chateau. Uh, it had been a Nazi base during World War II with the Picards surviving in the tunnels below. But where did they go? They went to England. Pete, it's only taken, what, 35 years or something to kind of retcon and explain why Jean-Luc Picard is so darn English. Uh, Picard reflects my notes, Pete, unironically, I think, say Back to the Future. Um, maybe that's my own number 15 I've imprinted on myself since uh, the episode was directed by Leah Thompson. But he's reflecting, I think one can charitably and accurately say Back to the Future, uh, calling for Maman. Uh, we see a flash of images settling on Mom, playing music in the conservatory. See, fear is gone. And you can see, Pete, how properly stifling the English emotions can be. Roses painted on the window there, that evocative image all the way back to episode 201. Later, as Picard stokes a fire, uh, Gerardi pulls him back to the present. He needs to find out what else she learned from the Borg Queen as well as get her some rest. She's been doing calculus to unwind, and he tells her about how his mother used to play Edith Piaf for him to calm him down. She wants a drink and hands him a bottle of Pinot Noir. She's moved 15 beads on the abacus, uh, chose the 15th volume of the Encyclopedia Britannica, and now a 1915 vintage. He thinks her marvelous mind is trying to tell them something. It can't be 15 hours. The ship's chronometer showed they had landed on April 12th, 2024, which means they have three days before the future changes forever. It also means, Pete, my hopeful theory that there would be a crisscross with the Deep Space Nine officers uh, existing in this timeline in August. Probably not going to happen. Um Still, the credits uh, show us that there's no Issa Briones. Uh, still, the return of John Delancey. Pete, this is an episode that was written... Uh, the, t the story was by Travis Fickett and Juliana James. The teleplay by Juliana James and Jane Maggs. And directed by the aforementioned, timeless Leah Thompson. On a metro bus bound for Union Station, a familiar tune blares from a boombox... 35 years later, and nothing much has changed, because I still hate you, can't wait to eviscerate you. I mean, this is a magic moment. Just, it's just the whole thing. It's clearly the same actor. It, the whole thing is just beautiful. Seven Kirk yells Barth at him. Thatcher. Indeed. He's back, Pete. His third cinematic appearance. Do you know his second one? I don't i know he directed a muppet movie he appears ostensibly as the same character at the request of marvel studios head kevin feige he appears in spider-man homecoming um uh, on the street uh the intention is it is the same guy how did i miss that it was a really minor it was a really minor thing that i um feel like i read about well after homecoming and then it got dusted off in the last week um so we never talked about that he, he he shares a scene you know how there's the 
the Asian gentleman in Spider-Man Homecoming who then also shows up in Shang-Chi as like guy recording stuff on the bus fight. Yes. Um, uh, Mr. Thatcher shares a scene with that actor. So you can look out for that. It's kind of like, you know, look, there's Spider-Man up there by the elevated train tracks and whatnot. So So wait, in the, in the past two weeks, we've had the potential that seven has been identified as a superhero in 2024 where the Marvel universe may exist. And now this and Thatcher's character has been in the Marvel universe. Matt, I think it it's all connected. He punk rock guy predates the possibility of Patrick Stewart. Punk rock guy's appearance in the Marvel cinematic universe predates the very likely possibility that in two months time or less than that, if you want to count it by weeks in five weeks time, we will see Patrick Stewart's entry into the Marvel cinematic universe. It's this truly is the best of times. Um, as I hate you still guy is playing his music. Seven yells at him. He, he reaches for his neck collar. Okay. He'll keep things quiet. He just likes this song. Um, it's, it, it, it's a wonderful moment, Pete. It's a reminder that he too can have his own little character arc. The same boom box as 1986. Additionally, the lyrics here talking about the temperature and the sea level rising, same concerns about the environment and ecology as Star Trek for the voyage home. Um, Raffi says that they should have waited in the other future until they had a real plan, but Seven tells her losing Elnor was not her fault. Back to La Serena we go, Pete, as I'm sure you know, as I'm sure our listeners uh, noticed when they watched the episode, this an episode with uh, lots of cutting back and forth as we move a bunch of different story pieces forward. Uh, but anyhow, on La Serena, Picard uh, reiterates uh, off screen that they have only three days, so they need to find the Watcher, stay here, Jurati, boost the communications and bring us home. I had wondered how much of that was maybe, you know, a reshoot uh redubbing of dialogue that sort of thing ultimately uh papa picard is counting on you agnes uh queenie's coordinates are going to send him to to a place of anticipation but he beams out and the story stays with uh the board queen and gerardi uh noting that agnes is the afterthought yet again uh, but she's more than Jurati lets on, the board queen uh, observes, and also much more cruel. But how is she cruel? Uh, she has taken Queenie, um, br- brought Queenie online, but is leaving her hanging. Uh, but Agnes, you felt it, didn't you? Assimilation, cooperation, connection. Picard materializes on Forward Avenue in front of 10 and enters the empty establishment to find a bottle of saurian brandy in 2024 a young woman tells him to put it back because the bar is closed he calls her gynen and she answers to it but fails to recognize him she tells him to march back out the door so she won't have to have him uh, on her or luna's conscience luna the protective pit bull sits for picard who thought the 10 forward is always open. She tells him if he's there to drink, he's late. And if he's there to loot, he's early. She's closing and demands he leaves. Uh, But he was told to go there and hopes she can help him. 
Uh, but she doesn't know him nor wants to. And he identifies her as an Elorian, uh, to which she cocks a shotgun in his face. And blasts off an act break. Uh, after the act break, we cut to Rafi and a cop. The cop can't believe in, you know, Los Angeles that there's a male named Cristobal, um, which I guess, Pete, is not me being surprised at the show. More, I guess I'm calling out the fact that uh, the show is imagining an LAPD that's not completely great with uh, diversity. Uh, Rafi is on fire uh, and metaphorical fire. Seven showing this ability that Seven kind of has to, to turn on the charm and the niceness. Uh, thanks the officer for her service. Uh, we're going to back away now. We're going to go sit over there. As they do sit, uh, another man in the waiting area tells her that ICE isn't even part of the LAPD system. Uh, so you're looking in the wrong place. Uh, but good luck. ICE will make this Cristobal disappear. Uh, we cut to Rios, who is at the ICE holding facility. He's processed and unbelieving that you pledge allegiance, which was an interesting moment of reflection, Pete, because... Uh, uh, that's a normal part of the K through 12 education experience. Um, or at least shall we say normal in a non-starch. Anyhow, uh, ice is ready to deport another man and ice agent tasers Rios for speaking up. Why does the past hurt so much? He picks himself up and Dr. Teresa talks with him through the fence. Who are you? She asks. He says that he's a good Samaritan just passing through. Guinan tells Picard that as long as she's lived on Earth, she can count on one hand the number of times she's been called Elorian. As she points the shotgun at him, she wants to know who he is and where he's from, and not just France. Luna knows he's not a threat, and Guinan takes the gun off him. Uh, she was leaving when uh, he found her proves to him that he is in the right place. He tells her that he has three days to stop something very critical from happening and gives uh, coordinates to her uh, and her bar as uh, where he was going to find a watcher. A man arrives and Guinan turns Luna over to Uncle Dale, who takes her. Guinan then laments humans are killing the planet labeling whatever they want uh, to be truth. And the 1% won't help the needy 99%. Picard echoes Guinan's words to him 400 years in the future, which causes her to retch. He told her about the phenomenon Af-Kelt, as it's known, time sickness, a uniquely Elorian condition that only occurs when the timeline has been affected. Uh, and indeed, though she is packing up to leave this spot, perhaps this planet forever, uh, it's noted that her leaving won't make a difference uh, regarding time sickness because it is uh, immune to distance. Back to the uh, police station, uh, or rather right outside it, Rafi wants to get a police uh, cruiser's computer, so... She's got a random phaser, even though they had all said no phasers. Pete, I'm not complaining about the story decision here. Rafi, rascal, of course she, you know, hit a little phaser away. Uh, she breaks the window, then fires up the car. 
Uh, of course, these human computer systems are all interlinked, so they're able to go from the LAPD database to ICE, looking at arrests, male Hispanic, female Hispanic, so many of them. Uh, with some cops coming out, though currently none the wiser, Seven gets in the car. They finally are able to get in touch with Gerardi, um, because... Again, convenient communications in this episode. I guess if you want to be charitable, the fact that the Borg Queen is looking on, maybe it's the Borg Queen putting her foot on the gas and then taking it off at inconvenient or convenient moments, but I don't think that's the case. There's a quick info share. Picard is somewhere in Los Angeles. Rios is 25 miles north of here. Uh, Seven is going to be driving angry and fast. Uh, Gerardi is working on a fix even as the police radio reports that a police car is stolen. Uh, Seven spins the car around. Can't you get the transporter running? Gerardi needs more time, maybe a day, or maybe Queenie can help. Yes. Uh, Castaic there, a real place in uh, northeastern uh, Los Angeles County. Outside, 10 forward, Guinan is piecing Picard's story to together but he can't tell her his name lest he risk compromising her path. But she's no watcher, just a listener, uh, though she knows the hatred there never ends. It just swaps clothes, taking off a hood in this century and putting on a suit. Change is too damn slow, expensive, and hurts too much. He implores her to stay a few more days to help him figure out what's changed. Picard notes elegantly that history's darkest moments can be a turning point for change. Uh, something to take solace in, something I, I dare say that we can hope is true. He asks uh, if she won't stay a few more days at the ICE detention center. Dr. Teresa reflects on medical school. Rio says she's a hero. But what's in store for him? Neither knows, but she knows uh, that she needs to be needed. Uh, the taser-wielding ICE officer comes back. His name is Morris. Um, and uh, Teresa is being set loose. Morris says there's a seat on the bus for Juan Rios, unless he is, of course, a citizen. Uh, Rios, at this point, says he's a captain. USS Stargazer, sent to the past to fix a timeline with a ragtag group of misfits, a queen, and an admiral that is a flesh-and-blood robot, but no one will quite explain that to him. Morris laughs, and uh, Pete, I got a good chuckle, too, because stated like that, it all does sound monstrously ridiculous. Um, but here we are on the 13th episode overall, pardon me, 14th episode overall of this series, uh, and it all makes sense at, at speed. Seven and Raffi speed through traffic as Rios is loaded onto a Homeland security bus with the male detainee from before. Agnes P. Gerardi spars with the queen to help get the transporters working. Turns out, Matt, betrayal is just an anagram for believe me. Um, uh, I suppose so. Um... Intercut with this is uh, Rios being brought on board the ice bus. End of the line will be the end of life as he knows it. Adios, Captain. Um, back to the anagram spouting uh, Borg Queen. Um, 
Drati says that she is in plain view, yet unafraid. Uh, the queen wants to be convinced by Gerardi. Uh, Gerardi says that she really needs to get the transporters to work. Uh, it's noted by the queen that Gerardi is the brightest peacock, yet afraid to shine. That's why she's frequently alone. Uh, Agnes fights back. The queen is the one that's alone, removed from the hive. Uh, and Agnes offers herself up. They can trade sad stories between uh, catastrophes. Um, and again, Pete, in a fast-moving episode here, we're not staying with this scene too long. Take us back to the bus. Uh, Raffi sees that Rio's file has been updated, and he's been moved to a sanctuary district on the uh, border um, on ICE transfer bus 735 as the cops catch up with them. Raffi sends Gerardi their coordinates and seven buys them some time before Gerardi tells them to hit the brakes so she can transport them. And they dematerialize right in front of the police with their weapons drawn. As tumbleweeds blow on a hill, they rematerialize and Gerardi apologizes that the transporter still can't handle moving targets. Raffi has a lock on the bus's GPS. Gerardi limits the queen's access again and walks away. Back to Guinan. She's ready to walk. You see what they did there, Pete? Uh, she's not going to get involved. Uh, she is, of course, a listener. Um, she is not Picard's watcher. She stresses again, but she does hope that he finds what he's looking for. Picard then names himself, says he's from 400 years from now, uh, and she will be his oldest and most earnest friend. Picard, huh? Get in. Uh, he is looking for a supervisor known as a watcher. Uh, they keep destiny. They're kind of guardian angels. No humility problem there. Guinan will get him a face-to-face, -face, sort of. Uh, she's very much going to want to meet him, uh, but don't thank him yet. She, the supervisor, the watcher, is a pill. Uh, Pete, we get to that lake in Los Angeles that I know MacArthur has been... MacArthur Park? MacArthur Park, indeed. Um, they didn't want to call it MacArthur Lake? Anyhow, uh, Picard was told to be patient um, and to be specific. Uh, don't, um, don't hide anything uh, and... Uh, you might get your eyelids bitten off. A young girl arrives, white-eyed and alien-voiced. Uh, you have 10 seconds to run, Guinan, is what the girl says. Uh, Picard asks Guinan one more time to not give up on humanity. Change always comes later than we think it should. Another, I think, guidepost of a, of a sentence there that we can keep filed away for our, our tough times. Uh, with that, the girl has Picard follow her. Uh, Pete, I love that the girl is the watcher. Oh, wait, there's about to be a little switcheroo here. Uh, but first, she wants his communicator and settles for him taking out the energy cell from it. Yes, which effectively strands him. Um, just as the girl's eyes return to normal and she leaves, a pushcart vendor with white eyes points the way. Uh, another man's eyes go white and he walks with Picard who reveals the pantomime is in case he's being followed. The temporary host is taking Picard to her. Uh, he tells her uh, to wait and then asks a woman if she's a friend of Guinan's. Absolutely not, replies the woman who looks like Laris without pointed ears. She touches him, and they vanish into a misty door. The end. Or is it? 
Reading the Los Angeles Times is Q, watching a woman, thinking about how it can't be done, but the challenge was showing everyone that, uh, that, that the nerve was had, but now it's real, the fear, choking. Here's the truth. You can't do it. People are going to die. And as we see Q wearing a, a Europa patch on his blazer, he snaps at the woman who laughs. Q says most unfortunate to end the episode. Pete, we have an incoming threat analysis here. Let's start with the board queen, a.k.a. Queenie. Andy Wershing here continues to do a marvelous job. There was a nice uh, bit shared by her. She had been in her early days of Hollywood, Matt, a, a guest performer on Enterprise. And there was behind the scenes video this week of her and the crew dancing to faith in the heart. Uh, her on enterprise or her on this show on, the, on this show in the board queen makeup dancing, wow. uh, to that song. So e- even they years later respect its legacy. Well, and speaking of the use of the board queen here, first of all, I mean, what, what a master stroke to, kind of suggests that there's more to the board queen than just i'm the chief of the worst villains ever in star trek i know we've gotten that a bit with the queen before but we have her as a more defined character still obviously you know if it's if she ends up being one note it just sounds complex but she's one note all all evil so be it but to kind of contrast her and compare her with gerardi who i had not stopped to think has all of these things in common with the board queen that's fantastic. And I know, Pete, we just came off our Discovery uh, Season Wrap podcast yesterday talking about how certain elements of how things were shot, you know, will we or will we not look back in years you know, from now and say, oh, it's clearly evidence of COVID and they're trying to stay spaced and things like that. Meanwhile, here, um, it's obviously just the two characters for very comfortable story reasons. Oh, the Borg Queen is elevated and restrained over there because she's a threat you know it also gives the possibility to be like all right annie we're going to shoot all your coverage you know this morning we're going to run through the scene from every different angle that we have for you uh then you're going to wrap for the day and then we're going to bring in uh you know we're going to bring in um uh, allison pill to do her stuff and we there kind of isn't that crisscross going on it just really feels everything with the board queen here is great the way they're shooting it the way they're using her the way she's highlighting other characters, the way she may or may not be providing magic story answers, like now communications work, now they don't, and so forth. It's just a great use. This poking and prodding cat and mouse game going on between the Borg Queen and Jurati has high stakes. We can definitely feel it from the way that it's shot and you know just the loaded nature of the dialogue that Jurati has all this potential but won't let on to it definitely stuff to dive into in theories uh perhaps the most villainous in the episode is ice as an organization and morris as the face of it um there's real people out there like morris who like their badge and their taser and their gun way more than they like uh you know justice and fairness and um things of that sort i mean 
matter? Are we surprised that Jackboot's going to Jackboot? Um, no, and I think that, you know, look, I know there are some people that are uncomfortable that Star Trek is doing a brand new thing, holding a mirror up to the modern experience through use of sci-fi. How dare they do that? What's next? Are they going to beam back and punch out actual Nazis? Gene would never do that. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not the fun part of the episode. It's not, you know, gleeful Borg queen. It's not, you know, who is Laris or not? And what connections are being made to prior shows or not? It's, it's the not fun part of the episode. And you know what? That's okay. It's not the vegetables and the ice cream. It's in a certain sense, it's the foundation underpinning this episode and a lot of this portion of, you know, of what our heroes are learning about as they go back in time. And I mean, I really don't read this, nor I think should anyone read it as an indictment of an entire governmental organization. But we all know that there are bad actors within that. And Morris shows us no possible indication that he's a good individual. Um, Coercing deportation paper signing uh, indiscriminately, uh, and unwarranted, uh, tasing of detainees. Um, yeah. And we know that this is drawn from real life. Uh, also a threat, certainly a, a threat to the, 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 the luminous and energetic, uh, presentation of Guinan in this episode is, um, the supervisor who, I, I'm sure, Pete, in theories, we will discuss Laris connections or not, but the, um, you know, is this the final presentation of the supervisor? Is it not, you know, theories as well. How about this, Pete? The supervisor, a threat this episode. I mean, in that she's seized Picard by the end of this, taking him to places, times unknown, wears the face of a friend. And then, you know, conjures all the questions given that she looks like Laris. Pete, also, some people would add uh, would add another threat to this list, a threat that made them much afeared and crying into their Cheerios and so forth. Yes, that of anything they label woke, Matt, which I've come to know as the thing that upsets your uncle. And by that, I don't mean uh, your and my beloved uh, Uncle Ron. Um, Pete, it's it's unfortunately a familiar place to be to find out that some people who watch Star Trek don't understand the basic principles of Star Trek. Let's use those long-range sensors to scan for some theories. Uh, First one, Pete, it was kind of mentioned in passing by some online that uh, the Watcher exits in a manner similar to Gary Seven in Assignment Earth, perhaps the least loved uh, TOS episode, least loved in that it's a pilot for Gene Roddenberry to exit Star Trek. Um, Or is this the return of the supervisors, use of that Gary Seven dangling storyline that we had mentioned i believe it was on a 
Patreon exclusive reflection of Star Trek spinoffs not made. Uh, are, Pete, are they circling back to this thing that was never really meant to be part of Star Trek, but kind of sort of was? Uh, is this now a thing? That they can. And, you know, not only this, the idea of going back and retroactively explaining Picard's English accent in this episode, uh, the connection to Guinan all these years before, which now uh, laid out for us by um, series co-showrunner Terry Matalis explaining that, well, hey, um, that Picard's future was changed and they never went to uh, 1853 on the Enterprise because of the Confederation of Earth. Uh, and that's not where he made contact with Guinan. Um, it, it all checks out and it's all in complete and total reference with the rest of Star Trek history. This episode is weirdly both uh, less filling and more satisfying in that, you know, really what is the theme that ties together all of these story parts in this episode? There really isn't one. It really is kind of a collection of the Picard, the Picard, you know, thread and the Rafi Rio seven thread, the Gerardi and queen thread. Um, but it's fun the entire time. And mm-hmm. so if I, if it sounds like a complaint, I'm really not complaining. Um, on the one hand, this is a minor episode and it's not about major things, but then it's also about, you know, systemic racism and societal selfishness. And it has these great lines that you can kind of hang your hat on and say, yes, there is hope for the future. Um, so again, it's a little, it's amazing that this is not, you know, the episode in which we reflect on whether data is a real, you know, data is alive. What is the nature of it? Let's have a court case. There, <laughs> there's kind of no center to this episode, but all the pieces are wonderful. I thought we were going to get a little more development on Picard's childhood trauma at Chateau Picard there with another character that he could explain it to if i have a criticism it's the slow burn on that thread but again given how satisfying these episodes have been they they've got me they've got my faith with that and then you layer on top of that the voyage home punk return which i don't know whose idea it was but it's brilliant i'm here for it and now I got to go back and watch Spider-Man Homecoming again. Okay. So I can see him pop up there. I initially, I mean, in the moment, in the first 20 or 30 seconds, I was not a fan of recasting Guinan, particularly since, fine, Terry Maddalus has given the explanation that Guinan in the 19th century didn't meet Picard because timeline totally checks out. However, Guinan in the 19th century looked like Whoopi Goldberg, and initially it was like, but you could have brought her back. Who is this Ito Gaieri? Um, but she brings, I know, there's just, there, there's that magic, ethereal thing, which is casting, which is acting, which is bringing the words on a piece of paper alive as a real character that, that she's got, that she brings to Guinan. Um, 
I know we can look at some story decisions in Star Trek of late, uh, or let's say Star Trek Picard, like, look, brand new Stargazer set. They really only use for 20 minutes. Wink, they're planning on having a Stargazer show, undoubtedly, after Picard Season 3, or per, during Picard Season 3, setting up blah, 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 blah. It's, it's a plan for the future. While I think we're going to see more of this actress playing Guinan in this season, I don't think it's part of some master stroke beyond um, this is a great way to get lots of Guinan um, on screen in this episode. Whoopi Goldberg, super busy with The View, um, which films, by the way, in New York. And this show is, you know, as we've discussed before, is being filmed in California. Um, just a great, a great opportunity to take we the viewers slightly outside our comfort zone and nonetheless give us an upgrade we also don't know what limitations might have been artificially imposed yes sir patrick stewart went on the view as picard season one was streaming and you know to his dear old actress friend and co-star would you please join my show for season two, which there's no way that wasn't done off screen first. Here, here's how we're going to do it. And there we go. But the writing of this show would have been going on behind the scenes. And I'm sure it was a question of, do we write this? Will she reprise it? And also, are we going to de-age Whoopi Goldberg? Are we going to have... Whoopi Goldberg play uh, Guinan in 2024. We've had the lines in the first episode here for the first time that El Orion's choose when to age for the comfortability of those around them. This all checks out. Um, and, you know, if they even deliberated going the uh, Mark Hamill, stunt double, super expensive de-aging route for this, what it potentially could have done to their budget. Um, so I'd love to know if they even considered it, if that was part of it. And then the backup plan was, well, recast. But the woman here that they have playing young Guinan, you know, the the mannerisms, the tone she absolutely nails it she does and i would suspect that um look the the first mark hamill de-aging outing in mandalorian season two was emotionally wonderful and then much digital digital ink has been spilled about how visually here's where it came up short uh clearly they made improvements for the second outing a year later but that is bleeding edge technology that is not i would argue that is not something that you know if you are if you are um star trek inc you don't want to build that infrastructure from the bottom up um meanwhile if you're star wars inc you're not building that infrastructure from the bottom up you're saying hey we would like george's other company industrial light and magic to fund our you know we are going to fund r&d and it's all part of the Disney sphere and so on and so forth. So that kind of that makes financial sense for them. It does not make financial sense for Star Trek. Um, the only conclusion I will reach in that, you know, in going with this younger actress is the plan is to get much more uh, 21st century, maybe not much more, but to get more 21st century Guinan 
Um, and as you kind of alluded to, Pete, it's with the it's with the story possibility of, you know, do they change how they look? I mean, Guinan never did before, but how many episodes was Guinan in? You know, 25, 30 episodes, you know, one or two movies. Like, there's enough wiggle room to be like, oh, yeah, then at the end of this, she's going to be like, hey, I want to I look like that lady on The View. Boom, there I go. Uh Gerardi left behind with the queen here. Maybe not the greatest decision given she's been partially assimilated and the loaded nature of that procedure. I think it's in retrospect, you are right. And in, if you were saying it's not a great idea for our characters or it's not a great idea for, you know, Lieutenant commander Pete, if he was there to be supervising the mission, um, if it is then a bit hand of the writer, okay, so be it. I think also, again, in an episode that was delightful, but as I said before, lacked a little bit of a center, who knows, maybe there was a line cut where it's like, I don't want to go, Jurati, but I have to, or things of that sort. Um, and they just decided to keep things moving because it doesn't change I mean, the he outcome. sells the urgency that they have three days and everything, but you know, we can see from the story standpoint, this is not going to go well. And then clearly this paves the path. If that is not Agnes Gerardi in the Borg Legion queen mask, I don't know who it is. Uh, I guess, yeah, time will tell on that one. Um, it's, it's, this is a highly successful episode. I know that much, particularly if, um, just to circle back to the first thing I had brought, if we are bringing in, if we're bringing in Gary Seven type stuff, it just adds to, you know, what can this show do if not if not stitch together some of the some of those loose threads of Star Trek? What about Matt Ten Forward? You know as a bar in 2024 Los Angeles and then finds the section of the enterprise D the forward section, uh, and assumes number 10. Uh, I, I don't want to, as a fan, I don't want to focus on that too much. Here's why it made sense in a, in a wink and a nod kind of way. It made sense in the earlier episodes to have Guinan who ended up Guinan who okay showed up in season two because Whoopi Goldberg asked her friend LeVar Burton to it's not a joke seriously ask Gene Roddenberry if I can be on Star Trek because Nichelle Nichols inspired me as a as a young black girl etc cetera, etc cetera. so they find a spot for you know the vaunted Whoopi Goldberg later they retcon in through Time's Arrow that Guinan was always keeping an eye out for Picard, or that they have this history which is largely seen off screen. Okay, great. If you then want to say, I don't know if Guinan was meant to have all, I don't know if Ten Forward was there in season one, like in the world of the show. I know it was not a set until season two. But if you want to say, um, she happened, she happened to get assigned to this place on the Enterprise that was called Ten Forward because it's the forward section of the tenth deck. Okay, fine. And then when she leaves the Enterprise at some point after it's crashing or doesn't go on the E or whatever, then she wink nods, gets a place in Los Angeles that's on Forward Avenue. It's number 10. 
okay, I like that as a joke. But now, Pete, if you further want to say she was always there and coincidentally kept in touch with Picard, who then coincidentally got put on a Galaxy-class ship that coincidentally put a bar in the forward section of the 10th deck, uh, to me, that's one wink and a nod too much. And I... Or they're just reusing a really cool set. I think there's that too. But to me, it, it's it, it's one step too far if you want to dig deep. So therefore, despite the fact that it's dug deep, I want to put sand back in the hole and be like, Star Trek funny. I like it. I like that she's a forward-thinking individual and this was always a part of Time's Arrow. Matt, for the second time in two episodes, Rios has mentioned his mother to Teresa now that it will be his late mother that she has died. Is there a Rios connection in the future via Teresa? Look, if we're going to draw story circles to get Guinan into 10 forward in the past and the future, if you want to reveal to me kind of Terminator, John Connor, Sarah Connor, Kyle, style that Rios is his own great grandpa or something. Okay. If you want to say, well, we're not going to go that far because that does give us weird time loops. If you want to say Rios came across his great, great or whatever the appropriate number of greats is grandmother. Okay. I I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that too. Um, as I had said on last week's podcast, I was a bit surprised by the end of last week's episode. Ooh, Dr. Teresa may, you know, may well be in more than one episode. All right, she's been in this one. If she's been in two episodes so that we can take an, an honest, uh, raw look at um, the immigrant experience, ICE, deportation, and all of that, okay, fine. That's That's super valuable. If she shows up in the third episode, that's officially time to be like, who is whose grandpa slash father slash grandmother slash whatever. So is the Watcher Elorian or, I mean, obviously we have more story coming and the potential for explanation. But but based on this, the uh, awareness of Guinan, uh, Guinan referring you know, she's a listener. There are also watchers. Like, what's what's the relationship here? I don't think that the watcher is Elorian. I think that Guinan being from a race of listeners, which, by the way, is remains deliciously kind of vague. Um, mm-hmm. th- th- they empower people by letting people talk to them. Like, it's it's great for storytelling. What that means exactly, I don't know. And in the world of Star Trek, where it could be, well, on the pheromone level, on the emotional, on the telepathic, like there's none of that. It's just they're listeners and they help people. Um, I obviously there's a there's a sense of conflict between the supervisor and um, and Guinan as a listener. I, I, I'm reading the fact that the supervisor. Um, even separate from Gary Seven connections, which you know, which had a more official nature of the uh, of the supervising. Um, I think Are they're you referring, open... of course, Matt, to uh, a class one supervisor of which uh, Gary was supervisor one nine four. Indeed, I am. That all sounds so official versus 
Meanwhile, over there on Forward Avenue, we got that listener who's doing all her listening stuff, even though we're trying to protect the planet from Supervisors Incorporated here, or, or with Supervisors Incorporated, we're trying to protect the planet here. There's old Guinan messing things up. Guinan, get out of here. Um, you're, you're not part of the plan. Um, I, I like that there's a conflict there. I don't quite know what it means for future use of Guinan while they're in 2024. I know, Pete, we're four episodes through the season. This time next week, we'll be halfway through the season, so I don't know how much time is left for 2024 Guinan, um, but I'm certainly here for it the entire time. Jackson Roy Kirk Plaza is where the final scene takes place. Matt, eagle-eyed viewers will, of course, know that as a reference to the original series and the episode known as The Changeling, uh, in which we had the probe Nomad, which Star Trek establishes was launched from Earth in 2002. They are doing a really great job this season, and maybe there were elements of it last season that I was connecting with a little bit less, but they're doing a great job Honoring Star Trek's past with those little things, I mean, I would add Punk Guy to it. Punk Guy really doesn't advance the plot. Roy Kirk Plaza as a specific place doesn't advance the plot, but it reminds you of the the larger nature of the Star Trek universe. And as you're saying, Pete, you then go on the deep dive a little bit and say, oh, right, their space technology is a little bit uh, beyond where we are at now and so forth. Um, so it's serving the story purpose without being like, you know, we're going to go back back to the future two style to watch Kirk watching Edith Keeler. And we're going to help Kirk. Like there's, there's kind of none of that loop on top of loop stuff. It's just the Star Trek universe. And then you have the woman unnamed at the end reading a Dixon Hill novel of the pallid sun uh, by Tracy Torme. Uh, Tracy Torme, the season one season two uh writer um or certainly early era I, I know with the writers strike season two there's a lot less writers but that's a fun that's a fun moment there um again fun callback is pete q's monologue in that scene he's clearly trying to do some sort of q thing to her but it, are his words about him or his words about her or is it both I think it's both. And then, you know, the thing we've seen him unable to do, whether it is a story point or a style choice, doesn't get the flash when he snaps. So is this whole penance, uh, Picard's, his, or is this season how Q gets his groove back? I do like the notion that we might retroact this season might allow for all the Q interactions to be retroactively labeled as Q was a naughty boy and now he's being punished. Um, you know, Q, we let you play with the bugs in the jar for a little while, but now enough is enough, and we're you know, and you Q need to pay penance. Um, I. I mean, if nothing else, that's a great way to keep the Q character kind of pertinent in the story versus like he showed, you know, versus what they kind of hinted at in the early episodes, which is here's Q doing hijinks again. Just, 
you know, do your best. And at the end, he's going to be like, look, everybody's back again. Um, to give Q the dramatic stakes is a fun, uh, a fun story turn. With that, let's go to Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. We start with our Twitter poll, Pete, uh, which was all about the rock and roll. How loud is your volume for this episode? Uh, the, the lowest rung. Why no TOS references, crying emoji. Pete, that got 0%. That proves even the haters know there were some TOS references. Uh, then there was one guitar. Keep it low. I'm driving. 19.2%. Two guitars. Crank them headphones. Got 15.4%. And then three guitars. Boom box. Got 64, <laughs> uh, 65.4%. Uh, some replies. First was uh, James the Sagacious. That's at Big Killin on Twitter. I give the writers credit, but the casting chemistry, uh, casting slash chemistry of this cast is amazing. Where Disco suffers at times with sharing screen time amongst a huge ensemble cast, Picard keeps it tight. That is something that uh, Spider Ham Lincoln, Tess LC139, agrees with. Next, we hear from JT Adkins. Is that JTA is me? I'm totally fine with having not one, not two, but three Voyage Home moments this episode. Number one, honestly laying out the complete secret time travel mission to someone who will completely not believe it. Number two, transporting away moments before being caught by the police uh, who are chasing you. Three, punk on a bus. Speaking of the punk, his inclusion and updates uh, on I Hate You were a stitch. I have to admit, this episode started to feel preachy to me as we hit over and over how horrible the, the 21st century is. I'm totally not minimizing that we have problems and the problems are worth calling out. But if one were to recount the wars of the Federation era, including the betrayals from high-ranking Starfleet officers, such as in The Undiscovered Country or in Picard Season 1, with what happened after First Contact Day, with the abandonment of the Romulans, humanity still struggles to do right well into the future. This criticism is a side note on my part, however. I think the story is progressing wonderfully. And thank you, Trek, for revealing the face of the Watcher before the end of the episode, only to give us more reason to want it to be next week already. Next, we hear from Andre Yeager uh, at Dr. Pole in 1983. Like the fact that they found an actress that actually sounds like a young whoopee. One thing about this season so far is they keep it moving. Lots of action, spinning a lot of plates. Hope they can land them all. Uh, Noel Gardner at Noel Camille says this episode seemed a little all over the place for a bit. We've seen the separated fish out of water story. Let's find everyone and get on to the next story point. But I will say I was delighted by the throwback. How is that boom box still working? Um, uh, Pete, if that's the biggest complaint, I'll take it. Uh, I, next we hear. I mean, that they've reached for, if not the same prop that perhaps Kirk R. Thatcher, you know, took off the set, uh, that they recreated it down to the stickers. There's a skate and destroy sticker on it. I mean, come on. It's, it's just glorious. But there are a lot of great moments in uh, the voyage home. That's at the top. And if anything that you would imitate and like you initially, I was like, oh, are they going to do it? But they they land it like so many things. Uh, next, we hear from Make It So. That's at K-C-L-Y-L-E-1 on Twitter. Not the best of the series slash season, but still enjoyable. I expect a lot of explanation next week concerning not Laris. The chase was cool, and the interaction between Agnes and the Queen was great. 
and seeing Chateau Picard was inter- interesting. Wish they could have de-aged Whoopi. Uh, next, Anna Rose, that's, uh, pardon me, Rose Ferry at Anna Rose 584 says, as Captain Janeway says, time travel gives me a headache. Uh, now we hear from Spider-Ham Lincoln fully. That's at Tess LC 139. This was a somewhat disappointing episode compared to the first three. Concerning the Watcher, what entity is using a non-Romulan face that resembles Laris? Or is the Laris, we really know, the Watcher in Romulan disguise, watching over an aging Picard? Is the Watcher connected to Picard's mother somehow? And initially, Guinan's stories seem to be mishandled. I know that time travel can be muddy, but after thinking about it for a while and doing some interwebs research, I understand that this Guinan, who may have lived on Earth at least since the Twain era, and who, because of the time divergence before Picard was born, never met Picard because of his past was also changed. So the events of Time's Arrow never happened, even though Picard remembers them because his mind wasn't affected by the time change that Q may be responsible for. I'm hoping for a greater story explanation ahead for all things. Uh, Guinan and Watcher related, rooting for a satisfying resolution to come that erases my current quasi-disappointment. Uh, and then uh, PT shares the uh, link to Inverse, which had the exclusive uh, about the explanation there. A, a rare time that Inverse did not have a hyperbolic uh, headline. Um, and uh, then lastly, Spider-Ham Lincoln shares a uh, GIF or GIF from Deep Space Nine where O'Brien, talking to O'Brien, says, I hate temporal mechanics. Next up and penultimately, Pete, we hear from Michael. That's at uh, Mike the Egg. Loved, this epi- loved the episode this week and all the others, even if where we left off with multiple cliffhangers till next week. Looking forward to this week's pod. And uh, lastly, Pete Snow Goggles, that's at Snow Goggles, says, man, I really just loved this episode. Over on the Fantastic Geek Facebook page, Matt, our friend Robert T. Frost writes in, Matt and Pete, I'm really enjoying this season of Picard. Great performances from everyone. And so many fun moments, such as the loud music punk rocker on the bus callback, even as he turns out to be a gentle soul. Will Dr. Gerardi voluntarily be assimilated to assuage her loneliness? Or what if, because Gerardi so impressed the board queen, she is assimilated into the hive as a new queen? Would that be the in for the Borg to join the Federation? Can't wait for the next episode. Your friend, Bob. I think Bob is picking up on a thread that I thought the show was putting down. And then I thought they were backing off from immediately, which is when, you know, Jurati's kind of offering herself up to the queen and we can share sad stories. I thought that it was, you know, do this and you can assimilate me. Um, Indeed, why not both? And if you are right, Pete, that the queen um, that we see on the Stargazer is Jurati, I know last week I said I'm not thrilled about the idea of like, oh man, then somebody is like taken and put in like stasis or time, time, time out for 400 years. It's not impossible to think, oh no, the queen has assimilated Jurati and now whether she's going to be in stasis or whether she's going to live as a Borg for the next 400 years, point is you could get Allison Pill unaged as the Borg queen on the Stargazer and some sort of connection there, particularly since Gerardi is in a position to hear more about Maman and looking up and all that since she's in Chateau Picard. 
Adam Rothis writes in to the Fantastic Geek Facebook page concerning Picard's statement that Captain Kirk's Enterprise performed the sun gravity maneuver more than once. It is true. They discovered it in naked time. They used it on purpose in Assignment Earth. Um, naked time, Pete. What a what a title! What a title for back in the sixties. That's all I can say. <laughs> Pete, now uh, to the email inbox. Two emails. The first one from someone referring to remain anonymous. Uh, how dare Star Trek Picard make fun of the fans by casting us as the punk rock guy? To suggest that we are stuck in a rut, constantly watching Star Trek is an insult to Al. I think they mean all the fans who have loyally stuck with the series throughout Kurt's Drek. That was not my take, Pete, that they brought this guy back to represent the fans. I thought they brought this guy back to represent this guy. I thought they brought him there to make a cute little callback that Star Trek has a past, a present, and a future. Uh, now, Pete, we hear from Stacy, a.k.a. Uh, Stingray, a.k.a. TrekGirl88 on Twitter. Uh, hi, Matt and Pete. Lots of thoughts again this week. Indeed, Pete, our Discovery uh, listeners will know uh, some of her thoughts for dis- Disco Season 4. But on Picard, she says, I enjoyed this episode aside from a couple minor things. Seven and Rafi adapting to 2024 too quickly takes me out of the story, especially how easily Seven drove the police car. How did she even know about the gas pedal? Or how to put it in reverse? But that is the pickiest of nits, because otherwise the chase scene was great. And the bus scene. Love, love, loved the callback to Voyage Home. The other thing I was initially disappointed in was that it wasn't Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan in 2024. But Ito Agayere immediately won me over. She has great chemistry with Patrick Stewart. And her portrayal of Guinan's disgust and humanity for, well, everything was palatable. The scene when Guinan took Picard to the Watcher was great. Loved the way the Watcher took over different people to escort Picard. It reminded me how messages come from the future in Travelers. Allison Pill and Annie Wershing continue to kill it as Gerardi and Queenie. Their chemistry is so good. Can't wait for next week. Uh, and then Pete to some general thoughts. I mentioned in my email, uh, Stacy says, for episode one of Picard, that I found Fantastic Geek after season one and had no one to talk about it. I enjoyed your coverage so much. Immediately, I listened to your coverage of Discovery, WandaVision, and Loki. I appreciate that you clearly love the shows you're covering and that you can be critical without hating on them. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to your coverage of Obi-Wan, Strange New Worlds, and Moon Knight. I'll take whatever you're able to put out for those shows on whatever days you're able. Uh, not as cool as Stacey Abrams, but happy to be part of the Fantastic Geek slash Star Trek family. That is, by the way, her words. It's her sign-off. That is uh, Stacy. So, Pete, I'll start with this. Uh, I do like that we clearly love the shows that we're covering and i would recommend that stacy maybe not listen to our inhumans podcast which broke us because it's so terrible uh but we had fun with it and we got a lot of fun isn't that the point you know um there's a lot of podcasters that just so sour on the thing that just you know it, it takes down uh you know the quality of what you're putting out there and i i think that's a thing that we're very conscious of. Um, and evidently our enthusiasm uh, got Stacy to check out those other things. So it's, it's reciprocal. It's again, hashtag all connected. And Pete, keeping things all connected all the way back. If you think back 
to when we were podcasting Runaways. I believe that was the first time that we heard the the intelligent tones of Fred from the Netherlands, whose voice we now hear. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Picard Season 2, Episode 4. I gave this episode an 8 on IMDb. I think they did a very nice job to get a younger guy in here. I think they picked a good actor for it. The interaction between Jarati and the Borg Queen is very nice. And in another way, the interaction between Seven and Rafi is also nice. The Rios story didn't bring too much to, into the story. I really wonder if he will see the young doctor back. Him telling the truth to this uh, police officer is really funny. Reminded me a little bit of the series Lucifer. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but he is always saying, I'm the devil. And of course, nobody believes him. I didn't like the car chase that much. I'm not in car chases anyhow, but feels so unreal to see a car chase in Star Trek. It's too awkward. Of course, it's nice to put such an element which you normally could never put into a Star Trek episode that you are able to put it here. But nevertheless, not really my thing. And then this watcher that shortly goes into other people's body to send a message reminds me also of something. I think something like that happened in the series Travelers. The main theme about Travelers is that people from the future or consciousness of people in the future travel to our time and then inhabit the bodies of people that are just diseased. But they also have a kind of messengers, and those messengers do more or less the same as here, this watcher with these people. And because their eyes turn white, just to signal if they are inhabited by the watcher, yes or no, makes it also a bit gruesome, a bit ghost-like, a bit horror-like. So we get a lot of genres here mixed into Star Trek. Uh, police stories, car chases, ghost stories, etc. A bit strange was that the Watcher is actually Laris, well, kind of human version of it. I don't know if this was just done because they want to get the actress Orla Brady, who is very nice, into also this 2024 story. A bit, a bit far-fetched, a bit strange, but perhaps we get a better explanation of that. Okay, that will be all for this time. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, Fred, always wise as usual. I will correct him on one thing, jokingly. Uh, the car chase scene in Los Angeles, uh, that actually is not a car chase. That's just how they drive in Los Angeles. <laughs> um, but LA a bit more traffic getting all this clout, come to the Garden State and experience real traffic. That's right. Um, so, Pete, uh, Fred, and others have brought up this idea. So, let's get you on the record. Is laris of the late 24th and early 25th century is that laris a watcher i mean we've been told that these supervisors have a role in safeguarding the destiny of you know individuals have been in ordained as important and i think we can say that that's jean-luc picard so you know was he beginning to fall in love with and had his supervisor begun to fall in love with him. 
And has that been the thing that has created this need for penance again in Q's words, um, that these individuals would be on the level of the continuum? It's an interesting aspect to look at and that she was undercover as a, as a Romulan. Something to keep an eye out for uh, as we continue to podcast the series. And of course, Pete, the entire Picard journey made possible by those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Absolutely. Every contributor there gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels to contribute at, but it takes just a dollar to get you in that door uh, a month uh, get over there. But if you can't this month, get over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating in seconds or a review in moments, all of which help us out. Indeed. And let's keep the Star Trek conversation going. How can people be in touch with you on Twitter? Find me on Twitter at Peter, P I E T E R J K E T L A R, 12,438 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter is looking back lost, do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But we Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. Well, Pete, as March comes to a wrap, we, of course, look ahead to podcasting in April. If you're listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, next Saturday we will be podcasting Moon Knight, episode 101. And of course, back here, both on the Pop Culture Podcast feed and the Picard feed next Sunday for Picard episode 205. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Have you met me in a pinch? Mm-hmm.